Hi everyone, thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. We're your hosts, Avon O'Malley and Jack Bernamini. Today's exciting because we have a special guest, Nayoka Carey, a PhD candidate in Applied Development and Educational Psychology in the BC Lynch School of Education, to discuss her recent publication concerning the increase in adolescent handgun carrying through the last two decades. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so do you want to give just a little bit of background on your work, how you how you got involved with it, how it started? Sure. So I worked on this study with uh, Professor Rebecca Levine Coley, who is also at the Lynch School with me and um, is my PhD advisor. And uh, we were really interested in looking at some of the contexts in which young people carry guns. And so thinking about um, originally, I think we had thought about looking at issues like safety and looking at issues um, around sort of what trying to understand what drives young people to carry guns. Uh, but we wanted to start with a really basic question, which is, do have the patterns around who is carrying guns changed over time? And so that's what our study that was just published really focuses on is looking at changes over time. Um, with a big national sample of young people. That's great, yeah, and it's so prevalent today, which is really interesting. Um, I know uh, specifically you covered from around 2002 to 2019, um, the increase in teenage gun control, um, specifically among like white, rural, and high income adolescents. Um, like what were some of the more major findings you found there um, and, and how has it changed over the years, especially in the last 20 years? Sure. Yeah. So we started, as you mentioned, we started the study. Um, the study covers 2002 through 2019. And I can talk on a little bit about what it means that it ends in 2019 and doesn't get into the pandemic. But um, our big finding was that carriage, reported carriage of handguns among young people is increasing. So it had increased 41% over that time period in the last um, 18 or so years. And what we saw is that those increases were really driven by a few different groups of young people. And so the increases, increases were most rapid among rural youth, among white youth, and among youth in the highest family income bracket in the study. And for those youth in that highest income family bracket, that was actually a very big change over time with them going from least likely to carry at the beginning of the time period to most likely to carry in the last um, time period that we looked at. Is there like a specific reason that this has increased so much? I mean, I think that's the question everyone's probably asking, right? Right, so that is the big question is why? Why did this happen? Why do we see these changes in patterns? And that's, unfortunately, we don't answer that with our study. And um, there's a couple reasons for that, um, but it's something we are definitely looking at next and trying to start to figure that out. And we're hoping that this study will also inspire other researchers to start to think about that and to not assume that the patterns are the same that they were 20 years ago. That was one big thing is we shouldn't be assuming, we should be checking. And then we need to understand if it's changing, why it's changing. Um, and one of the reasons it's so interesting to figure out why it's changing is that that suggests that we there are things we can do that might influence this, right? It's not something inevitable. We might be able to influence what's going on. Um, so there are a lot of theories that we have about why they might be increasing 
Um, some of them, so one thing we didn't look at in the study, but we hope to is looking at differences in gun control laws or differences in laws between states, or even differences in how laws are enforced within the same state. That might be another issue to look into. Um, and then the other thing is that some of the underlying things that stress young people out and that may make them more likely to carry might be changing for different groups of young people. So you might see some kinds of stresses decreasing and other kinds of stresses increasing, and that may affect different groups of young people differently. Right, yeah. I mean, I know especially it, it probably differs a lot in the laws that are um, maybe in Texas, a more conservative state compared to Massachusetts. Um, it would, would those laws really dictate what kind of kids carry law or carry guns? Is it really about the, the mandates that are in place or is it more about like a personal kind of like maybe it's it's brought up in the family or um, kind of preached in, in the social community or, or how exactly is it mandated that, oh, a kid may want to carry a gun at such a young age? So there's multiple things going on at the same time. So um, so one thing is that there is federal law. So everyone in our study is under 18. Um, so if you get to um, young people who are 19 or 20 or 21 or 24, or 25, that might look really, the laws start to look um, a little bit more different across states, but um, handgun carriage by young people under 18 is, is generally illegal, um, but different states have different kinds of exceptions. Um, so that's one question is, are some of these exceptions directly related to these differences? Um, but also, as you mentioned, different rules apply around handguns and there's different cultures and norms around handguns in different communities. And so um, it could be, we know that if your family are, if your family carries, you're more likely to carry. There's other research saying that. And there, we also know if your peers carry, you're more likely to carry. So there's other research saying that. So if your family or your peers are carrying more, um, regardless of the laws, um, you may be more likely to carry, if that makes sense. So that's one reason that those differences matter. Um, but it could be that the laws also shape what's happening with your peers and family. So that's sort of like it all can be a little bit interrelated. Um, and unfortunately, one of the big limitations with all of the research on guns is that we don't ask why a lot of the time. So when you look at a lot of the research on guns, especially for bigger samples where you're including lots and lots of young people, we don't often, the research that is out there so far doesn't often ask, well, why, and doesn't get into that. Um, but we've started, you've started to see some more research looking at that, so. Did any of your research look at if they, you know, use the handguns at all, or is it just that they, you know, carry them and they're not used through, do you not even know? We don't know. Um, so that was, that was one of the questions that in this particular set of data, so the data that we used, we didn't collect the data, the data is collected um, nationally, and it's collected every year, and it's part of a big survey where they ask a lot of questions about um, drug use and mental health is the focus of the study. Um, but for young people under 18, specifically, they ask a bunch of questions about behaviors that, as I say nicely, might get you into trouble. So they ask, have you recently, like, have you sold drugs? Have you been getting into fights? Have you stolen something? And then they ask, have you carried a handgun? 
And so that's the best we can do in terms of the context that the question was answered, but it doesn't say, did you use the handgun? It doesn't ask, why did you carry the handgun? So that's a limitation with our study. Um, why but do you that's think, sort of the context in which it was asked. <laughs> why do you think they didn't ask that? I feel like that would be like an important question. An important right? question? Yeah. Right. Um, no, I think that would be an important question. I think um, one one nice thing about this study is that it's been going on since 2002. So we were able to get lots of years of data and they've asked the same question every year. So survey researchers are always reluctant to change the question or ask a new mm -hmm. question. Yeah. Um, but also I think that it, the main focus of the study was really on drug use and mental health, which is a nice thing for us because it's designed to be very more private. They know they're asking about sensitive topics. So some that gives us some sense that maybe young people are being more honest because they've designed the survey to ask about a lot of sensitive things. But on the other hand, it's not the main focus of this study is not about gun carriage. So, yeah, yeah, got it. Is yeah, you mentioned like mental health and drugs, um, especially in teenage teenagers. I mean, has that really changed over the years? And has that kind of made teenagers more violent or more likely to carry a gun because of those reasons? Or um, how exactly is that like correlated? I guess. So there's. Um, I'm trying to, there's several different questions in there. So let me see. Um, so first, um, there's definitely research showing that um, very sort of separate research showing that young people's mental health has um, sort of rates of anxiety and depression and things like that has been increasing over time. Um, but um, at this point, we haven't sort of evaluated whether that has to do with carriage. Um, there's also, um, at the same time, crime rates have actually been going down since the 1990s, at least at least through the most of the period of the study in most places. And so that's another question is maybe that relates to it somehow, although those trends are going in different directions. So that's a big question. What does that mean? Um, and so, so those are sort of two opposing things. I think the big issue that we know is that handgun carriage, so there are three kinds of gun violence that we worry about. Um, and those three kinds of gun violence are suicide, homicide, and accidental injury or death. Um, and so all of those three buckets are associated with handgun carriage. So you're at higher risk for any of those three things if you're carrying a handgun. Um, but the mental health, I think, comes into play very directly when you're talking about suicide. And so, and we see increasing rates of suicide among some of the populations that we also saw increases in handgun carriage. And so that's concerning, right? If we see increases in suicide um, in rural areas for adolescents, um, that's a question, is that connected to increasing rates of carriage or not? And we don't know yet, I just wanna caution, we don't know yet, we haven't really rigorously studied that question, but that's one big outstanding question. Um, and there's definitely other researchers who have found that say, state gun laws um, affect adolescent suicide rates. And so that's, you know, that sort of, there's some good reason to think those things are connected, but um, but that's sort of a question for, for us in terms of our data in this survey. What type of like laws would you want to see passed to reduce, you know, handgun carrying? Because I know like that might not be your, what your study was about, but I'm sure with the research you were hoping to you know, make some impact 
and like you know hopefully you know the upper levels of government see see this and maybe make some changes so like what do you have any suggestions or what what would your like your goal be so in terms of takeaways so one big thing was just for both policy makers and like pediatricians and parents or people who work directly with young people is to be cautious and don't assume that you know which kids that you see are carrying um, and particularly for pediatricians, um, since our study was published in pediatrics, we were sort of focused on them. But for pediatricians, we really want them to recognize that they should be advising adolescents and their families about gun safety, no matter what their background is, because they could all be at risk for carriage. Um, and what we what people advise pediatricians to talk about is making sure that um, so if you have a gun in the home that increases some risk for your young person if you do have a gun in the home and you're a you know a gun owner and a parent that you make sure that your gun is locked and that it's locked unloaded um, and you're keeping your gun separate from ammunition and that i think you know there's certainly in some states they have laws around that but i think just as a for parents it's something to keep in mind that it's sort of making sure that they don't have access to that gun um, can prevent all different kinds of tragedies, right? There's like multiple different kinds of tragedies that can happen. So that's a big one. Um, and um, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> are, are kids more, more likely to just take their parents' guns? I know you mentioned it a lot before, but is that kind of the leading way that, you know, they'd get in, in contact with a gun at all? Or is it they're kind of uh, community or wherever that is providing that to them. Um, and is that is that ever a, a valid reason? Should a kid carry a gun? I know it's probably um, a self-answering question, but. <laughs> well, I think that one of the questions is what kind of carriage are you talking about? Um, what kinds of you know safety education are you getting? In what context? There's a whole bunch of um, sort of work that needs to be done. And I would say that I think we're still getting a handle on how kids and, and teenagers in particular get their hands on guns and where they're getting them. Um, you know, there's some research that they're getting them from family and some research that they're getting them from peers. And it might be different depending on which kids you're talking about. Um, so I think that's, that's one sort of outstanding question. Um, I will say in terms of access, one of the studies um, that predates our study found that a lot of parents who have a gun say, oh no, my teenager definitely does not have access to that gun. And if you, and they interviewed the teenagers as well, and they said, oh yeah, I definitely do. Um, and so that gap is concerning, right? If parents feel like they've secured their gun, but their teenager is like, oh no, I know how to get the gun. And I, my background is actually working with adolescents. And so that was not totally surprising to me, but it also is one of those like, okay, take a, you know, are you really, if you, if you are trying to secure your gun from your child, are you doing it effectively is a big question. So. So would you say like some blame has to be placed on parents if that's like one of the big sources for, you know, this reason possibly? Um, I mean, I wouldn't blame the parents because I don't know where the kids are getting the gun. Okay. And I and if the parents think they're doing it, you know, I think it's more of just a check for parents. Like, are you really doing what you think you're doing? Um, and to really think about what the safety issues are um, and what the risks are. 
So I mentioned earlier that, you know, our data didn't reach the pandemic. It stopped in 2019. And what we know about the pandemic are two things related to this. So first, which has been widely talked about, um, young people's mental health has gotten much worse during the pandemic. And there's a lot of new research coming out around increases in suicidal ideation and increases in other kinds of, of sort of mental health crises. Then we also know, though, that a bunch of people bought guns in the beginning of the pandemic. And so there was a big surge in gun ownership, including new gun ownership. And so, you know, I think that those two things really concern me in terms of those risks we talked about earlier, that that combination um, is concerning. And so it's something we'd like to look at further as the new data comes out for this survey. Um, but it's also something to keep in mind in terms of thinking about the results we found is will this, you know, will the pandemic change anything about the patterns that we found? Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, especially, I don't know if this is correlated at all, but because of all the riots that happened because of Black Lives Matter movement, um, especially like storming the Capitol, um, like guns were becoming really, I mean, more, more so of a threat, um, even though obviously they always were, but um, especially how closely people can come into interaction with them and how like, you know, they can basically be overlooked by a, a large part of the population. Um, so that's, that's really interesting, I guess. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, I mean, you talked a lot about COVID. Um, honestly, I, I kind of completely missed that. I didn't even see the relationship there, but um, do you see it dying down at all now that things are kind of opening up? Are people less likely to carry guns now, or is it kind of just continuing on at the same level? So it's a little unclear what happened to all the guns that people bought. Like, I don't know if they're sitting at home in people's gun safe, or if they're sitting at home in people's bedside table, or if people said, I bought one and now I don't need one, so I'm going to sell it. Um, and there's a lot of, um, so that's one question is just, are there just more guns out there in homes because more guns were purchased? And then, you know, and what, and in how secured are they? Those kinds of questions come up um, in terms of just in terms of thinking about sort of public health and safety for young people. Um, so that's one question is we don't know. Um, and, um, you know, there's, I mean, in terms of, there's sort of research around sort of how guns travel and they, you know, they often end up when they are used in crimes, it's often after multiple intermediary purchases. <laughs> um, but, um, but that's sort of like, it's sort of a question because we still don't know what happened to all of them. And we don't have, um, speaking of laws, we don't have great tracking to sort of figure out like one step, like what happened to the gun that this person legally purchased with a license in an appropriate way but now, you know, however many, a couple years later, it's in this other setting and we don't have a lot of great tracking to sort of always connect the dots, um, which would help us understand sort of where guns are coming from and, and how they're getting accessed. So would like, would you say more guns just in the population in general leads to more, you know, gun violence or, you know, teenagers carrying those guns? Because if with COVID, you know, there's so many people purchase guns, would you assume those numbers for teenagers like in your study would go up even more? Um, 
I don't know. And I don't know if it will be different for different kinds of harm. Right. So like when I said, like it may, like it could, maybe it will go up for suicide and not homicide. And I always, I hate, like, I'm like, none of these things are good. They're all bad things. Um, so I don't, but, and that's the question is, do we, do we know? And is it related to carriage? Is it related to family carriage? So a family member owning it or not? Um, I think we need to sort of figure that out. And part of this is having better, um, better data and more sort of open research around guns and, and what, where they're coming from, who is handling them, where do the ones that young people have come from? Does it change depending on what your state is? Why do young people feel they want to carry? Um, you know, there's some interesting, there definitely are some interesting research with just rural youth or just urban youth or just like just smaller groups of young people asking why and they're very different answers um and they're not you know it's they're not all pat it's not easy to all put it in just a box but they they definitely it would be nice to have bigger more robust data sets that really focus on this issue especially given um and i don't know i'm happy to send you the article but there was another recent article that came out that found that um, gun violence is now the leading cause of death for people under 19 in the U.S. And so, oh, wow, um, so it's it's going up, and it's now replaced car accidents as the leading cause of death. Um, and that includes all those three buckets I talked about. So it's not just one of them, but um, but gun related um, death mm -hmm. is the leading cause of death. It's if there's any solution you'd say, I know it's such a general topic and it's so hard to focus on like one aspect of um, like what we should control exactly about gun control and gun usage. But um, if there was any one kind of solution that either the government or, or we ourselves should kind of take to um, mandate this or stop gun deaths, all, all those things, what, what would you say would be? So uh, I guess if I ruled the world, <laughs> Um, I probably would have sort of, I would focus on two big areas and these still are two pretty big general areas. So the first is what can we do to reduce harm right away, given that it's a leading cause of death, right? And that would be interventions that are really tailored to specific communities. And so you might have a really different program for young people in Boston, for example, than you do in rural Alaska, and that's okay. <laughs> Like you want to have community responsive programs that recognize what's the, you know, what are people's feelings and culture around guns and like what's, what will actually reduce harm for young people, given what we know here. Um, and so that's one thing. And then the second is sort of these root causes of, of gun violence and addressing those. Um, and that's where I think that's a bigger, it's a much bigger longer term question. Um, but I think, you know, it's hard to address gun violence when gun ownership is increasing so rapidly when there are so many more guns. I mean, it just is. And it's not because people who are responsible gun owners are bad people. Like, it's not that. It's just that you need to think about sort of, there's just a lot of them. And, and that is something I think that if you had talked to people probably 20 years ago when our study started, there was more sense of like, oh, we just need to like, stop people from wanting guns. And I think people now are like, maybe that's not working. And so what do we need to do to sort of think about on addressing why so many people feel that they need to have them? So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's I feel like banning all guns at this point just seems a little bit unrealistic with, you know, a lot of people for the Second Amendment. But, you know, just better gun education, try to decrease this violence is the most important thing. Yeah, no, I think that sort of focusing on what what's what sort of the risks are for violence, I think. Um, and there are some really interesting programs, like I think people are developing programs that work for their community and for the parents and the young people in their communities. Um, and I think that's very promising, um, but I also think we need to, yeah, sort of address why, sort of that underlying why um, people, what what the sort of reasons people carry are and think about, are there things that, or are there reasons people are carrying that we can address because they're about, they're not things that people are happy about, right? Like there are things that people are not happy about and so we should address those anyway. Yeah, I'm definitely. Um, but Naoka, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is a great conversation if you don't have anything else to add, but um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And we hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Great, thank you.